Hey, this is Arden Zwelling from At The Letters and Sportsnet. You're listening to the Jays Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro. So starting this episode of the Jay's Journal podcast, I could think of only one person who could lead off a show that has such a phenomenal roundtable of really knowledgeable, exciting baseball folks. He's a celebrated author and contributor to Roger Sportsnet and Sportsnet Magazine, a multi-platform journalist who covers the latest Blue Jays news, rumors, and trades, and has his own little podcast with Ben Nicholson-Smith called At The Letters, which you should check out wherever podcasts can be found. Arden Zwelling is back on the baseball show. Arden, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Ari, you remain the king of intros. I try. I try to do it without taking a breath <laughs> because I know the audience won't have time to think. They'll just absorb all that great, gratuitous information I've just given them and be sure to check out your, your fantastic work. And No um, one does it better, you know, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. You know, flattery is going to get you pretty much anything you want on this show. Uh, although what I want or need right now, Arden, which is really important, is to give my listening audience a sense of optimism for the future, because lately things have been pretty much nothing but doom and gloom around these parts, maybe the exception of having you know, a legend like Bautista showing up, a Blue Jays legend, to remind us that maybe there are some positive thoughts left in this baseball city. When we look back, at, 20, at this 2018 season, what do you think the average fan will, will look at this year and remember it for when all is said and done in the grand scheme of things? Well, I think it, it'll be really just the, the infancy and the beginnings and the origin of kind of the next competitive window for this club. It really is uh, a transitional year, a turning the page year from guys like Bautista, as you mentioned, and Encarnacion, who is already gone, and Josh Donaldson, who will soon be gone, and players like that. And now you're starting to see some of the young talent filter up to the big league roster. Teoscar Hernandez gets called up earlier this year. He's supposed to just be filling in, and then he grabs an everyday role, and he doesn't let go of it. Um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is with this club right now, and he's going to be an important part of the future. And, and you see him making big plays at shortstop and second base, and you know, rocketing line drives into the, the left field seats. And then at some point, Danny Jansen, you have to assume, will get up here and play a bit of catcher. Randall Gritschuk in right and center field. Ryan Barucki on the mound uh, in Houston and then at home against Detroit, putting up two very strong outings. And you'd expect that Sean Reed Foley might be next in line among the young arms to come up and make an impact at the big league level. So you're, you're starting to see things turn and those, the, the, the next competitive window open while the last one shuts, and I think that's how this season will, will likely be remembered. And it's interesting that you brought up Lourdes Gurriel Jr., because you have a, a great article out right now, which is called I Just Want to Be Out There on the Big Read. Tell me about that article and what inspired you to get involved in Chronicle, what's been a really fascinating prospect that clearly has the potential to be something more than just your average baseball player here in Toronto. Well, you know, when people talk about the Blue Jays in their recent drafts and the players that they've been talking, you know, targeting, uh, bloodlines come up quite a bit. 
Kevin Biggio, Bobby Shutt, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all these sons of big leaguers. There's a Clemens in the Blue Jays organization, Smith Jr. There's a lot of sons of big leaguers in the Blue Jays organization, and people kind of go, wow, this is clearly a, a strategy by the Blue Jays. It's clearly something that they value, but I don't know if that many people realize that Lourdes Guriel Jr. fits that mold as well. His father, Lourdes Guriel Sr., is an absolute icon. In the, in the Cuban game. This is a guy who could have easily played in the big leagues if he had come over during his day, and he didn't. He stayed, and he played his entire career in Cuba. He played in three different decades. He won a gold medal at the Olympics with Cuba. He eventually managed the, uh, the national team, uh, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this family. You know, uh, Lourdes Sr.'s brother, Louis, played 21 years in, in the Cuban leagues. Um, their uncle, Jose Delgado, he played two decades himself. Jose's son uh, played 10 seasons. Uh, you know, Lourdes' brother, Yulieski, plays for the Houston Astros. So this is, you know, this, this family is Cuban baseball royalty. And I just kind of wanted to dig a bit more into that and uh, show Blue Jays fans that it's not just the Biggios and, and the, uh, the Pichettes and the Guerreros, that, that the name Guriel is one that has quite a bit of history to it as well. So knowing that we're going to see an influx of the next generation, and, uh, and I do love the baseball bloodlines because it goes to the whole family-oriented presumable mandate that a baseball club should have in reaching out to its community by showing, hey, if you, if you invest time and effort in grassroots baseball, your son or daughter could become a player and play organized baseball, which I think is wonderful. But I read a report a few weeks ago, and I thought of you because I know that you're someone who's got his kind of finger on the pulse of the, of the social contract that baseball has with its fans. And there was a disturbing report that out of only, I think, 115 available baseball fields that you and I grew up playing baseball, whether it's house league or some kind of professional organized league, out of only 115 baseball fields, only six are in working order to be used in an actual league in competitive sports. Does that concern you? Do you think enough is being done in, on, in this province and in this country to help foster the notion that the best way to enjoy this game is to cultivate it at the grassroots level? Well, absolutely. I think that is the best way. And, you know, you know, frankly, I don't know a lot about that report. I, I'm hearing of it for the first time from you, so I don't know much about what's going on there. But I do know there are a lot of really passionate baseball people in Ontario. I hear from them all the time, whether it's, uh, you know, through the email or Twitter or, you know, San 590 call-in shows. I, you hear from these people all the time. I meet them at the ballpark. I meet them at pitch talks events. So, I know there's a lot of people who are very passionate and very involved in grassroots baseball in not just Ontario, but across Canada. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that those people are doing everything that they can to continue uh, growing the game at the grassroots level. I'll get you the link. I think our mutual friend, Laura Armstrong, was the one who brought my attention to it because it came out of a Toronto Star report. So I'll be sure to, to flip that your way. It was, it was fascinating because you don't really think about what's happening uh, at the earliest level. I mean, would you agree that in the last few years, you've never seen this kind of spotlight on minor league development when it comes to players? I mean, the Blue Jays have always had someone who was going to be a highly touted prospect, but can you ever remember it being so fascinating? It's truly is being fascinating that the focus really is on tomorrow when it really has been completely ignored and focused on what should be the present. Well, part of the shift when Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and their team took over uh, from 
Paul Easton, Alex Anthopoulos et al., uh, was a shift towards more development than just pure scouting of tools. It was more, let's look for complete athletes and, and let's build a robust development system. They brought in Gil Kim to run that development system. They expanded their coordinators. Um, the high performance department was a very big part of that, putting nutritionists and strength coaches at each level of, of the minor leagues. And let's really focus on developing because I think that this new front office realized, look, we're never going to have the financial resources of the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, or at least we're, never gonna, we're not going to have them until we start to extract more revenue out of our ballpark, which we all know has been a, a, a big challenge for, for this front office. So let's focus on developing and developing the best young talent that we can so that we can enjoy uh, some similar to what the Tampa Bay Rays did for years, the age 18, 19 through 25, 26 seasons, those first six years of a player's career, where they're pretty affordable from a team perspective and if they're developed properly and, and brought along in, in the right way, those players can be pretty productive as well. So I think that's why you've seen that shift towards development in terms of focus from uh, the franchise recently. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes quite a bit of time to see the, the fruits of that labor at the major league level. But as players like Danny Jansen and Ryan Barucki graduate to the major leagues, you do start to see a lot of that work that has gone in beneath the surface. And you and I have had many conversations about what's being talked about, what's on everyone's lips these days, which is the desire to take a time machine and, and travel to the future and see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette do their thing. But aside from those two who've really been talked about the most, who would you consider as, as your personal choice as being someone that fans should really be excited about that maybe doesn't get nearly as n- enough of the minor league spotlight that we normally hear and read about? Well, he's been hurt all season, but Nate Pearson is definitely a name that, that I think of because before he, he got hurt, uh, this is a guy who was throwing upper 90s into the 100s with uh, very controlled, controllable and advanced breaking stuff, which is really, a, that's exactly the mix that you want a guy to have. And, you know, he profiles as a potential front of the rotation arm or a, a rather elite closer if everything goes right for him. Obviously, it's still early in the process, but I think that's a really exciting prospect to look forward to. I've mentioned Danny Jansen a couple times. There's no denying what he's done at AAA this season. He's got almost as many walks as he does strikeouts. Uh, His on-base percentage is up over 400. Um, The the offensive numbers he's putting up as a catcher are really, really encouraging, I think. And I'm I'm pretty excited to see what he can do at the big league level because he is – you know, pretty much left no doubt that, that he can get it done at, at the AAA level right now while catching every day. You know, that's that's a very demanding thing. Um, P.J. Zoik's had a really nice, good year at AA. I think Jordan Romano has taken really good steps this year. Obviously, Kevin Biggio having the big power breakout at, at AA it has to be encouraging for the organization. Uh, you know, I think Ryan Barucki is really quite a success story for this club considering, you know, he, he missed so much time earlier in his career and he had so many injuries and it took him so long to kind of figure it out. But mm-hmm. obviously the Blue Jays organization stuck with him, continued giving him the resources that he needed to improve. And then he had that breakthrough last season. And now you're seeing it play out at the big league level where through his first two starts, and it's only two starts, but he has looked very, very good. And he's featuring a fastball. He can run up to 93, 94, a really, really good change up 
and a slider that you know, nobody's saying this is Chris Sale's slider, but it, it's he's able to get it over in the big leagues, and he just needs to show it, really, just so the hitters know that he has it, and he can focus on using his fastball changeup to get swing and miss, to get weak contact, and to get big league hitters out. You know, what he did against that Houston lineup his first time out, you know, Houston's batting order is as good as it gets in the majors, yeah. and they gave Ryan Barucki everything he could handle, and every time that he got in trouble and had runners on, he showed really good composure, I thought. Really good mound presence. He didn't panic. He stuck to the game plan, and he was able to get out of those situations time. And again, even little things with Ryan Barucki, like when he fields his position, he's very calm. He's very collected, uh, very in control. And you'll see a lot of young pitchers sometimes when they have to field comebackers or bunts or they have to make throws to second behind them, they'll rush it and things will go haywire. But Ryan Barucki clearly very prepared and very confident and composed uh, when he's feeling, fielding his position when he's on the mound. And, and I think that's pretty impressive and something Blue Jays fans can be encouraged about. No doubt. And, and the names you've mentioned are just fantastic because these are names that will play positions like third base or shortstop or second base or pitch, areas that the Blue Jays could really use some reinforcement because of the second consecutive year where depth has been tested and because of a combination of injuries and underachievement, it's been, it's been a lousy year. But knowing the trade deadline is upon us soon and knowing all the rumors swirling as they relate to everyone from Donaldson to Smoke to Stroman to Hap, who do you see in that group of players on this roster right now that might survive the quote purge or fire sale and actually be made maybe a part of a future that you've envisioned that will feature a lot of the names you talked about? Well, it, quite obviously, Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk. I think those are two corner outfielders that you, you can absolutely build around. And, and Grichuk, a guy who can play some center field as well. Uh, I'd be surprised if Justin Smoke and Devin Travis went anywhere. Um, I think Oledemus Diaz is, is here for the foreseeable future. I don't see Russell Martin going anywhere. I don't think you could find a trade partner for Kendris Morales, although yeah. I'm sure the Blue Jays would entertain it if they could. And then Jan Hervis Solarte is that guy who's kind of uh, in between. You can see it both ways. He's had a very nice offensive season. He leads this team in home runs and, and runs batted in. He's, he's produced a lot for this team this season, but he's also a guy who's 30, who's not a great defender, not a great runner, um, can produce offensively and has two pretty affordable club options on his contract after this season. So if you can find a, a trading partner for him, considering some of the young infielders that, that you have coming up, and, and you mentioned them, Guriel, Bichette, Guerrero, Biggio, etc., I, I might be thinking about moving a Jan Hervé-Solarte at the deadline here, but the other side of it is if the Blue Jays kept him, they get to enjoy those cheap club options, and they get to enjoy that offensive production and the fact that you can slot him in as a third baseman or a second baseman uh, or, or your designated hitter. So I could see that one going both ways. Arden, does John Gibbons survive the year? Can you see him somehow finding a way to finish this year, and would he ever be part of the future of this ball club, or is this pretty much his, his last hurrah? I think that he finishes 2018 just because we are moving into sell-off mode with the Blue Jays, as we were saying. So if you're going to trade away many of his best productive players, it's hard to then fire him and say, why aren't you getting the job done? They'll say, well, you took away all my good players. Uh, So the only way I really see him losing his job between now and the end of the year 
is if something happened in the house, if there's some sort of toxic situation or atmosphere or untenable situation, uh, some sort of clash of personalities. But I, I think the likelihood of that happening is extremely low with John Gibbons. He's a guy who's really well res- respected in that clubhouse. Players really like playing for him, so I really couldn't see that happening. As far as next season, I don't believe John Gibbons will be managing this team in 2019. I'm prepared to be surprised. Uh, I'm prepared to be wrong on that, but uh, I do think that this is likely the last season for, for John Gibbons with this club. And and you've covered this team long enough to remember, really, the 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 way this manager evolved in this city and the way he's perceived. I mean, let's be honest. People, fans in general, either really love Gibby or they absolutely loathe him. I don't think I've ever met someone who hasn't had an opinion about John Gibbons. What's your opinion when all is said and done? If you look at him at this point in time, knowing that he's been here through two tours of duty, that he was at the helm when this team made it back to the postseason after 22, 23 years, and that he's someone that on one hand has found himself to be a great presence in the dugout with players, but also very confrontational with players. How do, how do you synopsize the reality that is John Gibbons from a fan's perspective? I, I think a lot of people would disagree with this, but he is, the, one of the best managers in Blue Jays history, likely the second best to Cito Gaston. Look, Cito Gaston's got World Series rings, and that's pretty undeniable. But John Gibbons is second in games managed. Uh, he's second in wins. He's had two tours of duty with the franchise, and he's also presided over the second most successful run of the franchise, the 2015 and 2016 runs to the ALCS. Uh, and the, the AL East banner that, that now hangs uh, in the rafters at Rogers Center from 2015. So, yeah, I think he's been a great manager for this club. He's been loyal. Uh, he's, he's been through a bunch of different internet incarnations of this team, and John Gibbons has remained the same guy throughout it, through thick, through thin, through rain, sleet, and ale. He has been just the same John Gibbons every day, and I think that Blue Jays fans have, you know, there, there's always going to be detractors, uh, but I think that for the most part, he's won over quite a few Blue Jays fans. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to get a nice reception at the end of the season. And if he does leave after the season and he does come back for a ceremony of some sort, I would imagine that you're going to see, uh, if it's a full house at Rogers Center, you're going to see 45,000 people standing and, and applauding for, you know, somebody who served really loyally and really dutifully for, the, for this franchise. I'm inclined to agree. That's a great assessment. I, I think you and I mirror our opinion when it comes to John Gibbons. It doesn't mean we won't be asked about it for many times to come, you know, for many times to come. But at the end of the day, John Gibbons, I think, did more good in, in helping mold what this modern day franchise looks like on the field than bad. And I'm sure it'll be debated for, for many years to come. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I know you enjoy coming on my show specifically for that reason, occasionally, on a rare occasion. Um, if you recall last year, you, you were somehow gracious enough to give me time to speak with you after you broke the Roberto Osuna story concerning his state of mind, social anxiety, battles with depression, and so on and so forth. I want to get your opinion. How, how do you feel right now about the organization's decision, knowing what you know, knowing what we all know after what happened uh, to bring him back as the, the closer in August. How do you feel about that? So I had always expected that Roberto Osuna would pitch again. You know, we've seen it with their oldest Chapman, Jose Reyes, Yuris Familia. There's unfortunately uh, a somewhat substantial list of players who've gone, had domestic violence incidents, served a punishment, and returned to be productive major leaguers. So I always thought he was going to come back and pitch again. Yeah. 
I wasn't always convinced it was going to be for the Toronto Blue Jays. I thought it might be in a different uniform, but from what we've from what we know right now, it sounds like that's going to be with the Toronto Blue Jays on or around August fourth. Um, so you you know what I need to hear from Roberto Osuna and from the organization at that time is a very direct apology from Roberto Osuna. I need to hear him own up to what he's done. Um, I, I need to hear him say he's made a mistake. And I need to hear from the organization what they've done to address the issue, what type of support, resources, counseling, what have you has been provided to Roberto Osuna. I need to hear why they're confident that it was a one-time mistake and that it won't happen again. I mean, I think these are the type of public comments that we need to see from them when Roberto Osuna does come back. If it's a situation, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but if it's a situation where Roberto Osuna says something like, I was wrongly convicted, I was wrongly accused, or that's why I'm pleading not guilty, or this or that, then I'm going to have a pretty big problem with it. But I, sure. I do think that um, at the time that he does return, I, I'm fairly confident that the Blue Jays are a capable enough organization that people are going to say the right things and that there's going to be concessions made and, and um, you know, and that Rupert Hussoon is going to be contrite when that happens. So it's going to be interesting to see it play out, certainly. Uh, like I said, I, I wasn't always convinced it was going to be with the Blue Jays, uh, but it looks like that's what we're heading towards right now. No, it certainly does. And the verdict will be out on fan perception and, and, and the symbolism behind how this organization brings him back into the fold. And I, uh, I'm in agreement with you. How you do it is crucial. Not just the fact that he's coming back. You'll always have your hardcore baseball contingent of followers who will say, we need our elite closer back. Our record since he was gone is not exactly flattering. And you know that. But my concern is, in lieu of mounting criticism of late, especially on the all-powerful, ephemeral social media reality we have, is there a concern that the organization, by the time this year is said and done, that they might have a real challenge on their hands and how they're endearing themselves to fans to try to quell this kind of polarization, to try to get more uh, admirers on their side that, hey, this is not an easy situation for us either. We're doing the best we can. He's our employee, but let's do it with tactfulness and let's do it with a sense of people looking at this and saying this reminds them more of the 1980s Blue Jays rather than the lean reality, cutthroat reality of 2018. Yeah, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans, if and when Roberto Osuna does return, are going to really grapple with how to how to feel about it and, and whether or not they can cheer for him and cheer for the organization. I think rightfully so. A lot of fans are very upset with what Roberto Osuna did. I think that they don't necessarily understand why he wasn't just let go immediately. Um, and I think it's going to be really conflicting for a lot of fans when they're trying to support their team and they have a player on the mound who has done something that they feel is heinous. Uh, and, and I certainly can't tell fans how to feel when that happens. Um, what I can say is it's certainly not unprecedented for an organization to welcome somebody back who has done something very terrible and served uh, a severe punishment for it. Um, you know, it's not out of the question. I think that, you know, if this was a situation where it wasn't somebody who's in the public eye, you know, or it wasn't a a baseball player who, who lives in, in this fishbowl, uh, you know, it, it might just be a, a lot, you know, a, a much more of a normal isn't the word that I want to use here, but just, you know, I, I don't know if there would be as much consternation over it. I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's a tough question to answer. I, you know, when I, when I think, it, what I, when I really think about it, 
I think mm. about the, the, the female staff members who are going to have to interact with them every day. You know, oh, and yeah. I think about the, the female reporters on the beat. You mentioned Laura Armstrong earlier, you know, M- Melissa Couteau, Caitlin McGrath, I mean, yeah, Hazel May, uh, you know, all the great women that I Mickey work Huffman. with. Yeah, right. All the great women that, that I work with uh, on the beat, I think about them having to interact with Roberto Osuna and how they would feel and what emotions they're going through. And yeah, you, you know, you mentioned Nikki Huffman, the Blue Jays uh, had a trainer, and there's countless other female staff members of the Blue Jays who are going to be interacting with Roberto Osuna on a daily basis if and when he does return. And so yeah, I'd really like to hear their thoughts and their perspectives because I don't, I don't know if my voice is one that's really needed in this discussion. I really want to hear what they have to say and, and how they Agreed. feel about it. No question. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure in the days to come, that, that whole perception of how the organization treats their fans, male and female, will be put, certainly put to the test. Speaking of perceptions and the emotion behind how time and circumstances affect one's love of their Toronto Blue Jays baseball club, should fans be concerned that the spotlight has become firmly placed on the Maple Leafs and the Raptors, given the John Tavares and LeBron news. I mean, obviously this long weekend, this Canada day long weekend generated a great sense of almost electric kinetic energy in the atmosphere. That was a sign that even in the off season, these sports are raring to go and there's a real anticipation. Can the blue Jays actually get lost in the shuffle when it comes to something like that? I think it's happened before. <laughs> I think yeah. it'll uh, probably happen again until the Blue Jays are a winning club again. You know, I think that if if uh, you've learned anything over the last few years, it's that these fans will come out for a winning ball club. You know, if they if there is a competitive club on the team that, that has a chance of doing something in, in the division or in the wild card, making the playoffs, you will see sold out Rogers Center crowds. You'll see raucous atmospheres. You'll see big TV numbers, big radio numbers. Toronto's a massive city. There's a, there's enough room to eat for everybody. I think if the if the Maple Leafs, Raptors, Blue Jays, TSC, Wolfpack, Argonauts, I think if all those teams, the Marlies, are at the, the top of the table and doing great, I think they'll all enjoy good numbers. Like I just think this market is big enough that you, you can't really cannibalize itself. Uh, you know we're not talking about a small market here. So I think for the Blue Jays, you know, look, attendance has dropped off massively this year there's there's no hiding from that uh and i think that to get it back the blue jays just need to win i think that's really the you know beyond any kind of promotions or beyond anything else that's happening in the city i think just putting numbers in the w column is is really the the be all and end all just win baby win really at the end of the day and of course it doesn't hurt when you're a multi-platform journalist as i love that phrase by the way i'm going to be using it you know, I'm going to appropriate it from, from your bio at some point. When you're covering multiple sports, there's no shortage of opportunity. So I would imagine you're pretty excited about the fact that even with the Blue Jays struggling the way they have, this city is going to be an intriguing place to be a sports fan over the next year, few years, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. And it already has been for the last several years. The Raptors have been very good. The Maple Leafs going through their rebuild and, and getting to the postseason. The Blue Jays having playoff games at Rogers Center for the first time in more than 20 years. Toronto Wolfpack is here. They're playing half their games in Europe and then coming back to Toronto, the the first transatlantic professional sports franchise that we've seen, playing rugby, which is just a beautiful, terrific game. Toronto FC has been successful. The Marlies winning a Calder Cup. I mean, it's, it's already a great time to be a sports fan 
in Toronto. And look, there's a lot of a lot of teams that are positioned right now to continue those winning ways going forward. Well said, my friend. And you know me to be one who loves delegating shameless plugs. You're always so humble you don't need one. But tell my audience uh, what you're working on, what they should look out for in the next little while when it comes to your great journalistic work. Uh, the writing is at sportsnet.ca. The podcast is at the letters uh, with Ben Nicholson Smith. So we, we do that every week. Uh, I've been doing some radio broadcasting lately. So you can actually call me up sometimes when I'm hosting Jay's Talk. Uh, and yeah, you can hear me on all the uh, Sportsnet platforms. People know where to get me. Absolutely. And and for myself personally, I'm still waiting for that cool cinematic moment where I bring both you and Ben on my podcast. So it's like an inverted version of At the Letters. Really We'd be happy to do it, it, man. Oh, uh, I think you else. can definitely make that happen. <laughs> you should, you should aim, you should right aim higher. <laughs> That's a very you know, accomplishable goal. <laughs> Absolutely. I love I love the fact that you've made it that clear because now I've got something to shoot for. Always a pleasure, Arden, to have you on the show. You've been listening to Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet talking baseball here on the Jays Journal Podcast. So as we move along in this episode of the Jays Journal Podcast, it's my pleasure to bring on two writers that I've been hoping to have on the show for quite some time. Couldn't do it because we were all busy, but we finally coordinated our efforts. Winter turned to summer, and here now on the show are Charlie Marshall and Hayden Godfrey, writers at thejaysjournal.com. Gentlemen, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Sorry. Charlie, let's start with you. Tell me what you've been working on in terms of articles that are on the Jays Journal right now and what's going on in that literary mind of yours when it comes to this team. Yeah, so so personally what I'm doing is every day I will put out uh, an article about the next the team we're posing or playing against their Mm -hmm. starter. Uh, it's kind of a look into maybe something, a little personal story about them or their season, and then it'll delve into a bit more stats-wise, like looking at what they offer pitching-wise and some stats that would kind of give a better idea, a full picture of how they've actually been pitching versus than just like the basic stats that you can find on any kind of game preview. I also, I haven't actually fully started this yet, but I have an idea now. I found a, a kind of a close comparison for a j-hop trade based on some trades from last year so i'm gonna start working on that and hopefully get that up soon too do you think the blue jays should go ahead and make that trade in your opinion is it a question of for how much rather than if i think i I think if you have the best pitcher on the market then why would you it's really just wasting an opportunity if you don't what about you hayden what have you been writing about and uh how are you feeling about the blue jays these days when it comes to some of the literary ideas that you come up with yeah, I, I really consider myself in a very hopefully humble fashion to be sort of the utility man over at Jay's Journal. I write, uh, have been writing some breaking news uh, stuff about trades. I've been writing some analysis, uh, really just a little bit of everything. I'm on most every day, as is Charlie. Um, yeah, and it is a very complicated time, and I'm hoping to sort of capture some of that and give you some of my, as Chris Henderson calls, half-witted analysis. Um, but yeah, in, in the future, I'm, I'm speaking with some members of the team. I'm hopefully going to be doing some, uh, interviews with players, uh, doing something to go a little bit beyond the traditional analysis that you might be able to find on some similar sites. Uh, and overall just trying to, uh, introduce myself to the community because I really, really enjoyed doing this in my young career. Well, and that's evident on both fronts for both of you gentlemen, that you clearly are inspired by this baseball team. And you do great work and and develop the kind of, again, literary ideas that get 
gets people's imagination maybe roaming a little bit. Although some would argue this is not the best year to do that. Give me uh, your opinion, guys, on, on how you stay motivated to write about this team and, and to bring these things into perspective during a really, really difficult and gruesome season of baseball. I think every single Major League Baseball team has something to be optimistic about. If you're a contender right now, you're interested in the team that you have right now. If you're a cellar dweller, odds are you have a very, very exciting minor league system. And the Jays are closer to a cellar dweller. They have a fantastic minor league system. And that's really what what drives me, is seeing the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, the Bo Bichettes, the Kavon Biggios, even some of the younger guys. I know Jordan Groshans has been having a monster season uh, so far, short season in the Gulf Coast League. It really is that young talent coming through the system. I mean, I still love watching the Major League Club. I, I live in Toronto, so I always get the chance to go down and see a ball game every once in a while, but it really is the young guys that are keeping me in it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say similar to me. Like At the end of the day, I'm still a big baseball fan, so I still love seeing it, but think about the future. Like it's, it's all you can really do at this point. And we just, obviously, it's really easy for Toronto fans to see the future, as we just saw the Leafs basically overhaul their whole roster in a few years uh, after they fully decided to break it down. So there's always that hope in the back of your mind that maybe the Blue Jays can do the same kind of thing, because for guys like me and Hayden, like we only just saw them make the playoffs recently for our whole lives. Which you can imagine for a fan who's a little bit longer in the tooth and more mature like I am, that's quite surreal, isn't it? I mean, all you've known from your experience as being a Blue Jays fan can can be weighed with the barometer that was the memorable fall of 2015, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I summed up really well when you said surreal. It was surreal. I mean, it, it was crazy. Again, something we'd never again experienced, as you mentioned. And of course, being part of the future, writing about the future, means being someone like yourselves who've got your pulse on it. You know, your your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the city. You guys both do fantastic work. You can check out their amazing, amazing writing and blogging. Charlie Marshall's on Twitter at CWMarshall98. And Hayden Godfrey, also on Twitter, at Hayden Godfrey, with what I like to call the superfluous Y. Gentlemen, I really appreciate <laughs> you both taking the time to drop in here on the Jays Journal podcast. Yeah, thanks for Thank you very much, Ari. Thank you. So let's go around the horn here on this latest edition of the Jays Journal Roundtable. Haven't had one in a while. This is a good group. Let's start by introducing this gentleman, whom you know to be a very accomplished, prolific writer and blogger. Does a lot of great work with Sportsnet. I am, of course, referring to the mysterious Dow of Steve. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Ari. How's it going? Not, not bad. I called you mysterious. I don't know why. I'm going to add like a certain allure to your writing now because people are going to wonder who I, is this guy. It, he? he makes me feel that much more attractive to hear it. So oh, have at it. I'm pleased. I'm pleased to hear that. Uh, joining us as well on this episode is a producer at the Fan 590 and the creator and co-host of a great tennis podcast called Southpaw Slice. John Reed, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Ari. And rounding out what will hopefully be about half an hour of spirited baseball repartee is none other than one of my favorite wordsmiths, but you happen to know him first and foremost, I'm sure, as the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and the author of the Baseball Thesaurus, Great to have Jesse Goldberg Strasler back on the Jays Journal. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, and I'm feeling not mysterious at all. There's nothing wrong with being upfront and evident for, for what you are and, and, and the great things you do. And, of course, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, there's no mystery, is there? We have now reached a tipping point, I think, in a season that is only 
unbelievably half done. And now we have to ask ourselves, what next? And that's what I wanted to dedicate this roundtable to, is a bit of an exploration into how fans can keep what remains of their sanity in a ridiculous, almost deja vu-like foray into yet another year, back-to-back, of really bad, fundamental, mediocre baseball. I want to start with you, Dow. Give me some impressions, if anything, of what the Jose Bautista return in the Mets series may have meant. And did you call anything new in the last week here in Blue Jays land for us to appreciate that maybe something big might be happening on the horizon? Well, I think that uh, it it was a a bit of a much-needed energy that was uh, added into uh, Blue Jays fandom here in the past week. Um, Obviously, uh, getting that chance to get uh, Jose back. I think people are even just happy to see him back in baseball, but I'm not sure that people at a certain point thought that we were going to have that chance to to be able to give him another sort of round of appreciate, uh, appreciation. It does also bring back all of the memories of that time that was not that long ago, and yet it's starting to feel like a long time ago. Uh, and so it's uh, it's kind of been a bittersweet week this week. And, you know, I... I uh, at the same time, I think one of the things that both seeing Batista and also kind of being in this moment of knowing that there's going to be a need to move on is that my impression is the vast majority of Blue Jays fans are fine with it. And they didn't win the World Series in those years, but they could have. Um, they, I think people appreciate the crapshoot that that is and, and – I think that people are pretty sanguine about uh, about things, you know, in spite of the fact that it's not a great season. Um, I think that people are okay with the idea of, well, there, there's, there's injury problems. There's a lot of explanations why, but it's also this is the point where we're moving on to something hopefully bigger and better. Yeah, and I think that the month of June as well brought a bit more positivity, despite the fact that, you can't really be, you know, too excited about this team, I, I suppose, considering uh, their positioning in the, in the, I don't even think you can call it a playoff race anymore, especially for the Blue Jays. But, you know, seeing Marcus Stroman return to form, getting a chance to applaud Jose Bautista, you know, Jan Harvest Salarte is, is probably going to get well over 20, hit well over 20 home runs on the season. Lourdes Goriel has shown uh, some potential with his bat the last little while. So I think, I think that the the Bautista coming back, and I know this is July, but the fact that he came back right as uh, as June ended, and, and we're kind of seeing a little bit of silver lining there. I think it was a nice kind of cherry on top of the uh, optimist's cake. I will agree. I think it was cathartic. And I think that something else that it did is you consider how many different fans were made by Bautista. And one of the ideas was that last year's season was lacking the energy, lacking the interest. And this just shows, oh, wait, wait, baseball can still be fun. It can still be joyful. There's the spark. We've seen that spark from, let's say, Guriel and that big two-run homer to cap the big comeback. We saw it, uh, from my perspective, because I know him personally, Ryan Barucki coming up to the major leagues and saying, hey, the Jays have some guys coming up, whether it's this year or whether it's coming up next year, who are actually prospects, who are actually players there is a future to look forward to. So I really do think that this is one chapter closing, and next year will especially be a new chapter beginning. 
when Steve Pierce was traded for Santiago Espinal, I heard a lot of people saying, all right, here we go. Let it all hang out and let's move onward. So here's a tweet that I sent out earlier today, or as some are responding to it as being nothing more than sensationalizing the day, rationalizing the present. You know, everybody's an armchair critic the way they're looking at the season and they have their opinion and it's easy to blame pretty much everyone associated with the ball club. So this is what I sent out. Barely 24,000 fans came out to enjoy an evening with a returning Blue Jays stalwart who once brought fans out of their seats with the crack of his mighty bat. Half an empty stadium in June when other sports are on hiatus is a sobering indictment of failed baseball leadership. What do you guys think of that? Is that accurate? I mean, contextualizing, I think, is important. It is a team that isn't the best that we've seen in the last few years. You're coming off of a holiday-long weekend, um, so it'll be, I think that also plays into having a tough time getting fans out to the ballpark. And attendance is down around the league this year. It's been written about, it's been talked about. It's, it's uh, not a pressing issue, I wouldn't say, because there is revenue through local TV and, and national TV deals, but it's been, a, it's been a concern for them. So I think when you consider everything, it's not too disappointing. Of course, you'd, you'd like to have 40,000 people and the roar of a, a much larger crowd for one of your, you know, one of the best players in your recent history. But I, I wouldn't get too concerned about or, or pick on Blue Jays fans for not turning out in larger numbers than they did. I think 24,000 on a weeknight after a holiday-long weekend for a team that's out of the, the race, you know, usually we're used to seeing seventeen or 18,000 nights like that. So I think that that probably was a fairly large crowd um, given the circumstances. Yeah, I think that, that I, I would concur with that. I, I mean, that's, uh, that's a half-decent crowd. I also, too, I mean, this is a thing that we've talked about uh, in a couple of different ways over the years. You know, people used to say that, uh, you know, first it was Roger Clemens didn't actually draw uh, a crowd or, or Roy Halladay didn't draw a crowd. I'm not sure that baseball fans are as motivated by the the event of the night as they are sort of by their own schedule. Um, but having said that, I do think that there was at least enough uh, of a warning for people to, to mobilize, to get in, and, and to probably bump something up by a few thousand fans. I know it, I was disappointed to not be able to make it down to Toronto for that, uh, for that series, but, you know, it, it, had it been... On a on the previous Friday night, I think you probably would have seen maybe maybe upwards of thirty in there. You know, the thing is 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 that they're uh, in a bad part of the cycle right now. They need to get back into the playoffs to be able to sell those ticket packages that sell the future uh, uh, the, the future season tickets or the season tickets for the next year. Uh, they weren't last year. They were in the previous couple of seasons, and and that's I think where the really the big drop off is. So, hopefully, um, success on the field will will bring back success uh, at the box office. Ari, I'd like to focus on your closing part of that tweet, and this is something I find fun: is that you and I are two sides of a coin, and you are a poet at this. It's because you can put this into language, and you can say, "Here's how we are in the present." And I get to enjoy looking at the future. And I think that's what the front office is doing, that a lot of the acquisitions have been stopgap, or basically guys put into place that are not high price items where they're saying, maybe this will work for the time being, but we believe in the guys that we've got coming up. 
namely of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That 2017-2018, while it would be great for them to compete, they really have put this long-term plan into, into place. And so I do not think that – I think it's too early to indict the, uh, the front office. I think that there really needs to be the time next year, and I know that that's difficult, but I really do think that their plan has, is taking a much longer shape than perhaps people want to see. Well, therein lies the challenge that you and I have argued about, I think, for maybe a dozen shows. I mean, you've been on my show many times before, and you're absolutely right. I like that characterization of being uh, two sides to the same coin, because you have that enviable perch, and believe me, it is envy that you can get glimpses into the future. You're like some kind of baseball sage. That's what I want people to recognize you as, because virtually every player we've talked about in the past that you felt had a shot to make this big club essentially has. And Baruki's no exception. I smiled when he was called up because I thought the happiest guy associated with this Blue Jays team is Jesse Goldberg-Strasler. He's looking at this and saying, you go, kid. You, you go ahead and show us we have a reason to cheer for something that fans can show up and say the future looks bright. But my concern is that delicate balance that you and I always argued about, which is how do you keep the product worthwhile today while promising the future? Because I think you, you, all three of you will agree that after 18 months of this really bad, crapulent, shambolic brand of baseball, and it has been bad, not just bad in terms of wins and losses and run differential. Let's throw that out the window. What about just the eye test? What about the fact that we have four sets of eyes on this episode watching the Blue Jays, and you, got, you have to admit, this is just really poor fundamentals out the window type of fly by the seat of your pants while you hope that Vlad and Bo and company get older really quickly. Well, Jonah Carey just wrote the recent piece about how this team is so old, and the Blue Jays teams have been so old in the past. They had the oldest teams in baseball the last couple of years, and so how do they go forward from here? And yes, where is that spark? So I actually do think that that is important to look at and say, here's what we're looking at right now. Now, there have been other monkey wrenches thrown into this. The largest one being that suddenly the closure is unavailable for a very good specific reason. And that changes a team. The bullpen changes a team, the makeup of a team. And then we look at the starting rotation. There are different factors that have complicated the season, but also have brought the season into the malaise. And that, to me, was another important thing about the Bautista return, was that it broke up the malaise. So is a Lourdes Gurriel hitting? Is a Grichuk showing why maybe, hey, we shouldn't give up on him entirely. There is something here that he can produce. But when you say it's a terribly long season, I always find that encouraging, that the season is so long that at any point, even in the very start of July, that you say it wouldn't take much. We just need breakout performances. We need a couple of guys to step up, and there's at the very least interest going into each day rather than a groan going into each day. Well, I think, too, you have to look at, when you talk about the eye test, a lot of the times, and especially when you talk about Blue Jays' attendance and ticket sales as we were before, the eye test has to match up, the cost of the ticket has to match up with the eye test. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of Jays fans stay away this season is it simply doesn't. And I don't know, I, I highly doubt they bring ticket prices down for next year. I don't, I don't know if the team can and maybe hold steady. Uh, as you know, Rob Manfred ha- did not mince his words when he came to town talking about the building not being, you know, the optimal uh, building for, for revenue generation. So I think ticket sales are important, but at the same time, they can't, they can't bring the prices down. So they're kind of 
stuck between a, a rock and a hard place in the sense that ticket is not worth the entertainment you're receiving from this team. Um, so I think you, you have to wait for that. You have to sell your future uh, and hope that once somebody does come up, once Bobachet does come up, I, I wouldn't trade Stroman and, and if Sanchez can, can put uh, health issues behind him for a long stretch, that's, that's a wonderful core. You know, Lourdes Gurriel, or Gurriel continues to, to develop as a hitter. You've got a decent young core that you can sell and then hopefully attract fans with. I think that that's how you have to look at this as opposed to the test now being a disappointment. Sure, but it's ultimately about, you know, the next, the next year or two, maybe three, um, if, you're, if you're concerned about uh, the, the eye test improving, because I don't know if it's going to happen next year, um, you know, kind of overnight. And, I mean, we can't forget the fact that uh, Josh Donaldson has essentially contributed nothing to this season. So, you know, uh, he's supposed to be a top-five player in baseball when he's on the field. He really hasn't been on the field. Um, that, that There's a big, you know, as much as not having the closer in the bullpen uh, creates a sort of domino effect uh, downwards. Uh, I think it's the same thing with Donaldson, where suddenly there are, are players who are getting more at-bats than they should, players who are hitting more towards the middle of the order. Uh, you know, he should be the guy who helps to carry a team that's sort of uh, uh, a middling team and push them over the, the 500 level. And, and I, uh, that's, I think, something that they have just, so profoundly missed and 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 again bringing it back to your question Ari it's it's you know in terms of the eye test I think that Josh Donaldson when he's at his best can make uh any team look that much better so so that's a that's a big piece that they've missed uh, and, and just to pick up uh on the discussion around the, the the ticket prices you know one of the things that this front office did when they came in is that they they looked at it and and uh, recognized the fact that the Blue Jays were one of the few teams that that weren't using dynamic ticket prices. Um, I wonder uh, about the the extent to which that that did start to move people um, out of the point of being able to afford to go. I, I really do think that there have been about five or six years in a row almost where. Uh, 10% or more was added to the cost of a ticket um, aside from those up in the, in the 500s. And I, I just think that uh, at a certain point, you know, you're starting to, uh, to pay hockey ticket prices for a baseball game. And, and that has never been, I think, really part of the spirit of the, of the sport. I think part of the spirit of the sport has always been uh, a cheap ticket for a, a nice leisurely day at the ballpark. And you didn't even mention the fact that uh, by forging a relationship with the scalpers to further monetize ticket opportunities and changing the flex packs right before the season started, these are all things that at least if we could look at, as you called it, John, the core, the one that I talked about a year ago, if, if, if I can remember fondly, I remember about a calendar year ago, I was going on air and I was talking to people on the podcast and saying that Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman and Roberto Asuna and Devin Travis are all part of this core, this amazing nucleus that will allow the organization to justify hiking up ticket prices. 
And of course, if you look at all four of those, one has been arrested and suspended for 75 games. Another took Scott Boris as a client, thereby guaranteeing that even with all of the blister excuses and injuries, we can all agree that Aaron Sanchez is trending in the wrong direction when it comes to developing properly as a consistent starter in this league. Marcus Stroman this year suffered what could best be described as mysterious injuries like Josh Donaldson, the kind of thing where the organization gives us the impression that something's wrong, but don't worry, it'll be fine. But then if we really look at the player, we say, not, no, it doesn't look fine. And Devin Travis will always be a wild card because we don't know what we're going to get with him in terms of his health. So let me ask you this. What is the core of this team looking forward and ahead? If we're going to talk about Ryan Barucki and we're going to talk about Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr., who are the current players on this team that you foresee will be maybe indelible for the future, that player that hangs around from the old regime for a couple of years so that they can find a way to succeed with some form of veteran leadership? I guess I would say that uh, for, for me, Marcus Stroman is someone that you have to keep around. Uh, I think, again, I, we, I talked about this on a previous uh, Jay's drawing round table with you about how maybe the negative reinforcement is what he needs, right? It, it always drove mm-hmm. him the height. His, his, his logo, his motto, his height doesn't measure hardness because he was too, he was always told he was too short starter, right? He was a closer in college and everyone envisioned him as a, uh, a bullpen arm. And then he, he used that kind of doubt to, to push forward. And now we saw that again beginning this year when he was probably hurt and still pitching at a, one of the worst years in baseball. Went out, came back, people started to wonder, uh-oh, what's going on with Marcus Stroman? Is he, is he capable? All of a sudden, again, he's, he's, on a, uh, you know, he's pitching very well. So I think that maybe you know, the negative reinforcement, continue to question his uh, consistency, is almost, could almost be a benefit to the team. Maybe not to him, <laughs> but to the team. And I think something else we have to remember, uh, not just the, the, the core now, but if this front office um, does deal a few pieces moving forward and pick up a few prospects, whether B-level prospects or not, and their scouts do a good enough job. You know, you could, you got to remember there could be a few guys traded that bring in pieces that could be part of the core in two or three years. Not just what the Jays have now on the team or in the system, but you're likely to be sellers. You're probably going to trade J-Hap and maybe a few others. And, and hopefully for the team one or two of those guys that they bring in will hit and become a major league contributor. So there's, there's that potential as well. When you, when you talk about uh, the outlook moving forward. Yeah, I would agree that Stroman, I think is really the, the one piece that you would look at and say, that's, that's definitely, uh, he's definitely part of the core. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I look at anybody else on the roster and, and say, Absolutely, this is someone that they have to hold on to. This is someone that they uh, need to make sure is is there for the next few years. I, I honestly think that everyone, um, uh, short of uh, Stroman, at least on the twenty-five man, should be should be available at this point. Um, uh, and you know, I I. Maybe, maybe I'll go back to my default here and just say that I really think that the center of the core of the next great Blue Jays team is going to be Randall Gritchett. And uh, not just because the man had 80-grade dimples. Um, I do think that uh, I'm glad that I was validated uh, based on the last time I was on the show and I, I kind of pumped his tires. So let me do that again and see if he can't uh, 
put up another month of uh, 900 plus OPS. Yeah, I think that both I think both of my colleagues are are correct in, in moving forward and saying from the old regime to the new regime beyond Stroman, it would not bother me at all if we saw a brand new core built. And whether a Guriel is part of that core, or Hernandez is part of that core, or whether from the pitching side of Baraki is part of that core, I really think that there are a lot of opportunities at hand and a lot of evaluations that are continually being made as this team is reshaped. And I really do think that we are going to see a new shape moving forward in the near and then in the medium depth future from here. And that if any trades and when any trades are made, that pieces will be looked for, yes, down the line like an Espinal, but also guys that are not far away in the next year can contribute to this Blue Jays team as they really do look to say, okay, let's, let's plug this in here. Let's, let's look for depth there. Guys who can help because of the AAA level where you might be looking at a couple of years ago, oh, Raddy Telez is the first baseman of the future. Now you're not anymore. So I would not mind in those trades saying, get that AAA ready guy or get this new piece and this player is the one who's being sold as part of the new core moving forward. Yeah, and I want to jump in and, and say that the, I agree with the validation on Don Gritchick because, as Ari knows, I tweeted him the other day, watched him in the NL Central uh, for quite a few years, was not a big fan of his as, uh, as a guy who avidly watches and supports the Chicago Cubs. So, you know, uh, outside of last year, both he and Aledmus Diaz uh, had, had wonderful years uh, for, for the Cardinals, or uh, Diaz, that won the, his rookie year. I think he had over 300. So I think both those acquisitions were under-the-radar uh, kind of pickups that perhaps they, they you know, I don't think Aledmus has, has played the way he is. Those were both low-risk, high-reward signings, and we're starting to see Gritchick come around. And uh, he's always had the power potential, too. So I don't think, you know, him starting to hit home runs should should really surprise anyone. He's He's done it in the past. He's a little strikeout prone uh, as well. And if you can cut those down, um, you've got one hitter on your hands. That streakiness, <laughs> that causes a little bit of stress and frustration. And I was talking to some Cardinals fans, friends of mine, and they said, sometimes you were sure that he figured it out. And sometimes you just said, well, that's it. It's over. We've seen that already this year. His highs are high, his lows are low. And just to clarify that tweet that you were alluding to, Dow, is the, Randall Grichuk has been good as a Blue Jay for as long as he's been bad as a Blue Jay. And I just retweeted it in real time to show you how much I appreciate that tweet. Listen, it's, it's some vindication there, and I'm glad it worked out that way because for a while I thought, like many fans, we were going to lose our minds watching him struggle mightily with, with no surprise on this end because we all kind of expected that he would be a, a guy that strikes out 30% of the time. What was really appalling to fans was that it, it looked like he was going to struggle in his transition between leagues, which isn't that unusual, right? We've all seen that. We've seen some great players who are successful in the NL show up in the American League, and for whatever reason, they can't, they can't get in a groove. And now he is. And so, look, if, if we were to consider the current roster and some of the names being thrown about as potential trade bait, give me the name of someone that you'd like to see them keep. That you'd like them to, the Blue Jays to hold on to that player because that player might be someone who will be contract friendly and have a certain appeal on behalf of the fans as being someone who should be part of this great new young future up ahead. I'm resistant to the question. Uh, I really do think that it depends on the offer and it would be all right with me to negotiate for pretty much any player on the roster. 
um, beyond the guys that we've mentioned before, I think that those negotiations, those discussions would determine. Uh, and I, I really would keep an open mind if I was them. I was going to, I, I was going to take the easy way out here because we talked about Stroman. We all think that he should be part of the core moving forward, but we have heard the question, um, you know, as a, as a sports net guy that works at sports net myself, it's, it's even been on the network. You know, are we going to, are they going to trade Stroman? What are they looking for? Is it possible if teams call? And I would, I would personally, again, unless the offer is kind of overpaying and, and you, and, you know that you're getting more than, than you think you could for him. I would just shut it down right there. Uh, I, I think he's, a, he's still young. I'm, I'm not as concerned with the injuries as most are, and I'm certainly not as concerned with his injuries as with Aaron Sanchez's. And he's got, he's got electric stuff when he's on. He's, he's a personality. I mean, you want, you want to talk about ticket sales and, and marketing the team. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that it, he's, he's a great guy to, to put front and center. The fans love him. He's energetic. Uh, I think that on multiple fronts, uh, it's a much more beneficial to keep him. I know that's it's kind of an easy easy road to take here, but but he, his name has been bandied about, and I think that would be a huge mistake uh, on the part of the front office. So all bets are off then, um, and I think the best way for us to wrap up this roundtable is to go around the horn and ask each of you to give me some kind of fearless prediction, some kind of prognostication, if you will, that I can splice together uh, as part of the promo package for this episode, and then, of course, refer to and remind you of it for time immemorial, especially if you hit this bang on. Give me something, like, really imaginative, something that would capture the fans' imagination and have them look at you and say that you're some kind of true baseball oracle. Give me some fearless predictions for the second half of the season. I truly believe that there's going to be... Uh, that Ryan Barucki and Sean Reed Foley are going to be major contributors to a hot streak for the Blue Jays down the stretch. And maybe it's going to be one that is too little too late, but it'll certainly be entertaining and it will get people excited for what's to come next year. That's a, uh, that's a really, really good question, Ari, especially with such a mid team. It's hard to, to kind of want to make it over the over-the-top prediction, um, but for me, I think with, with the power potential uh, and with, with just about half the season left, uh, I think that we could see uh, if they stay healthy and they stay up, um, well, Grichuk will, and then Guerrero will probably, I just want to see if Guerrero plays consistently. If he does, I think they both go, uh, for they combine for 30 home runs, 35 home runs uh, down the stretch. It's just, you're finding them, they're both finding their groove, and they both have huge power potential with those those long swings. Anthony Alford comes up and plays like a superstar. Um, by the way, this just sprang to mind. Explain to us all, in your opinion, why we, we lost um, the opportunity to see more of Smith in particular. What happened to Dwight Smith? What, what, why did he, for a short burst of time, show us that he could be a major league player and went through this weird revolving door that this regime tends to do with some of their prospects that have been in the system for a while. You see a little bit of Pompey, you see a little bit of Alfred. What, what's your take on that? White Smith Jr. is an interesting sort of player in that one of the great compliments about him is also a disparaging thing that you can say about him, which is that he's not stunning. Over the course of a great period mm. of time, he's a contributor, he can do things well, and yet you can look around and find players whom you believe do things better than him. However, once some team, whether it's the Blue Jays or somebody else, just gives them the regular chance to be a contributor. It'll be a part of a winning team. But 
For the time being, they wanted more development out of him. They want his defense better. They wanted other aspects better. His time was not right yet. Well, these are great predictions because they involve players whose time, in some cases, is now. It might be next year, the following year. We can hope and dream. Uh, I'm just worried that there'll be enough entertaining baseball left for the sport itself to to not be rendered irrelevant because, you know, there's something going on around these parts involving the Maple Leafs. And now that LeBron is in, in the West, the, the basketball fans are, are gushing with anticipation of what they can do next year. I'm really worried that this Blue Jays team might find itself not just because they've had a bad year, but it hasn't been a good looking year. You know, there've been controversies. I'm wondering how you, and this is one last question here because this was actually what I'd hoped to ask you all now that I gathered you together were you a little bit surprised at how quickly Roberto Asuna was normalized back into the baseball community, if you will, in the sense that a punishment was given out by the front office. He's got to pay his dues, as they say, for being involved in this kind of, I guess we'll call it an infraction, even though I think that it takes away from how serious this issue was. Were you surprised that he's just going to come back in August and be the closer of this baseball club? No. Um, I think that, look, Major League Baseball found that he had uh, violated their policies and suspended him. He's a good young pitcher. Um, you may, you may, I understand. And this is, again, you got, got to understand no one's condoning what he did, but once the punishment is served, all these fans advocating for him to be traded or cut before he's actually found guilty in a court of law is unreasonable. I think the front office needs to look at this and say, he served the penalty baseball gave him. We don't know how this case is going to turn out. So we'll, we'll, you know, once he's paid his penalty for the, the baseball side of it, he can play. And then down the road, if he's found guilty, I would 100% think he should be cut or, or traded or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but right now, I think getting on the front office for allowing him to come back when he's, you know, uh, served his penalty is a little bit unreasonable until all the details are in uh, on the legal front. I think it's easier to normalize him when he's not on the mound. I really do think that there will be another reaction entirely when he actually is active, when he's called in to pitch from the bullpen. I think that moment, uh, I think that we'll see things come back to the fore. And uh, as much as I don't like what the front office's approach was, uh, certainly with that that, uh, press conference that Ross Atkins had, uh, where he, he made the statements uh, that he did uh, uh, around uh, around the player, I, uh, I you know um, I, I would I would prefer that they bury him in the in the minors uh, for the season, send him off to you know to uh, to to the complex league and let him go uh, and, and and be there. They still have options on him; they can do that. They're within their rights. Um, on the other side, uh, I get why uh, why it is that Atkins said what he said and why he had to and why the the team has to take a certain approach with them. Uh, I don't like it, um, and uh, but you know I, I think realistically um, there's still more to play out on this, and uh, but you know I'm going to have a really hard time. Um, uh, taking a rooting interest in his uh, in his performance uh, this year or in the future. 
certainly a lot of challenges is on the horizon for fans. It's it's tough to be a Toronto Blue Jays fan today. If you're getting to the sport for the very first time and this is your entry point, your point of origin that you're going to look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, I became a Blue Jays fan in the spring of 2018, one can only hope that as history plays itself out, that it's a Doc Brown back to the future like experience where you can go back and see everything happen and hope that decisions are made today so that we can still all enjoy quality baseball, at least in this lifetime. Gentlemen, phenomenal round table. Let's go around the horn. We'll do Dow, John, and Jesse. Uh, let my listeners know what you're up to and what they should know about uh, what's going on these days on the social web. Uh, so uh, with me, it's uh, regular a piece on Fridays and uh, at uh, Sportsnet, and there'll be something tomorrow, and it'll probably deal a little bit with some of the things that we've been discussing uh, discussing on uh, this show. Certainly, talking about um, what uh, the roster is going to look like going forward. And aside from that, probably me complaining about the Ottawa Senators on uh, on uh, <laughs> social media, which. Uh, for the longest time, I would hide my Senators fandom, uh, recognizing the fact that probably about 70% of my uh, of my Twitter followers are Leafs fans. Um, now I just do it, uh, one, to entertain them, and two, also to remind them that, you know, things are going well, but eventually every team ends up back in the shit show at at a certain point. So in, enjoy our suffering and, uh, and, 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 and enjoy, enjoy the fact that you, that uh, Maple Leafs are now a model franchise. I, I will enjoy it. Um, and it's doubly as enjoyable when the Habs are also uh, in, the, in the cellar. So it's, it's kind of like a twofer. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just <laughs> plugging away, uh, plugging away at the fan sports at five ninety. the fan, uh, Obviously, Canada's number one sports radio station, as uh, most of your listeners will, will know. Um, producing shows there. We've had uh, Ari on a few times uh, with uh, Roger Lajoie. I also am a huge tennis geek. I uh, run the, the Southpaw Slice, which is at Southpaw underscore Slice on Twitter. Uh, it is Wimbledon time. So if there's, if there's any tennis fans out there, now's the time to tune in. Wow. I've been sleeping on my couch uh, to wake up at 6.30. It's a lot easier to wake up. At 6.30 when your alarm goes off, sleeping on the couch, then in your bed. So if you're ready to get up early, there's a pro tip for you. Meanwhile with me, proud Washington Capitals fan, wishing you guys well. Following along with how things are going in the minor leagues in terms of Eric Pardino is off to a great start with Bluefield. Uh, at Vancouver, there's the second rounder, Griffin Conine, and a number of other very intriguing guys. In the Gulf Coast League, first rounder, Jordan Groshans, has a lot of great company. It is, my, it is my field of interest where I take great interest in what's going on in the Blue Jays minor league system. And so to that end, I host a, a weekly show called Around the Nest, at Around Nest on Twitter, where I talk to all of the broadcasters of the organization and let you know what's happening with their eyewitness observations. With my Lansing Lugnuts, with our wonderfully named Maverick Bufo and the dominant Ryan Noda and onward, life is very fun. They're 53 and 31 right now. They're on the playoffs they made it from the first half and we'll see what the second half holds for these boys great time of year for uh for prospect guys they eh? right after the draft seeing them all placed in their uh various roles it's uh, certainly oh, yeah. exciting yeah let me Absolutely. give you a devil's advocate it is better to follow along with the draftees 
next year because all of them are tired. I saw Kendall Graveman when he was throwing 86 miles an hour. Next offseason, he was a new guy. So I just it's fun to see all these guys in the system, but wait till everybody's fresh. Clearly, all I need to do is insert a Jesse Goldberg Strasler module into the show, and suddenly any doom and gloom just dissipates. You know, somehow you've got us all all thinking about good times, and no surprise, obviously, with Ryan Noda. I interviewed him last July, I think, and uh, he came across as someone that's going to be destined for bigger and better things here in the Toronto market. Uh, as for your your Ottawa Senators, um, Dow, I, I have no words for you. It's a speechless time of year because um, only negative and dangerous things are on the horizon for that franchise. And I guess we all, as passionate for the Blue Jays, understand how delicate that relationship is. And just because you're the only game in town in the country is not a reason to be complacent. And I hope that through this kind of discussion, fans walk away thinking that maybe there'll be still a little bit of vigilance left when all is said and done, and that we can all look back to enjoying baseball the way it should be played here in the city. True family-oriented experience that's competitive first and foremost and makes you not regret whether or not you just spent a little bit too much on the whole experience. So, gentlemen, always a pleasure. You've been listening to The Dow of Steve, John Reed, and Jesse Goldberg-Strasler here on the Jay's Journal Podcast.